New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Today here with Jason Langley, Managing Director at Ingram Micro. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Thanks for joining the show. Um, keen to hear a, a little bit, I guess, to start with a little bit of background is who is Ingram Micro? Those that are uh, working within the, the technology sphere in New Zealand, a lot will have had interactions with Ingram Micro, uh, but I'm sure there are you know, plenty that uh, that don't know too much about Ingram. Probably a, a name that's been heard, but is it a, you know, is it a small local company or is it a uh, you know forty fifty billion dollar uh, global enterprise? Uh, you know, to tell, to give us some background. That's a good question. And when people tend to um, explain where they work, um, I, the, the answer is, um, oh, you mean the chicken company, um, Ingham's. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that we've we've said uh, over over the years is we're the biggest company you've never heard of, and that's that's really just the way we like it from an end user or a customer point of view. Uh, uh, we tend to be well known by the reseller community, the partner community, uh, but not the people that are buying from those partners. So um, we're an international, we're a, a multi-country, uh, multinational, uh, with revenues in excess of uh, 40 billion US in, in a given year. Uh, and in a long history, we go back to um, 1979, I think was uh, the year that we were actually originally founded. Uh, started off life in New Zealand. Um, before Tech Pacific as uh, Imagineering and morphed into uh, Tech right. Pacific and been, it's had a number of different owners over the years and then uh, Ingram Micro got involved and, and took over Tech Pacific in the early 2000s. So um, been around a long time, uh, established a, a great customer base and, and a great business and have, and have grown uh, like a weed over the years. So it's, it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah. So... Uh you know, when did you join Ingram and what were you doing prior to uh, being part of Ingram Micro? Uh, my story is a long story uh, and I'll try and keep it short. I started off life uh, studying law and uh, decided that law was not for me. Uh, it, it bored me to tears so I got into my next uh, passion I guess which was computers. Um, the, the ironic thing these days is as MD of Ingram Micro I spent a lot of my time reading contracts and negotiating contracts so <laughs> uh, I didn't really stray too far from law. Uh, um, but I've been in the IT industry uh, since I was about 20 years old, uh, in sales, marketing, um, technical development uh, um, roles as well, where I've done uh, graphic design, website design, database design, coding. Uh, and then uh, most recently, um, I've been with Ingram since uh, 2013, so eight years nearly, uh, and started off that role uh, running the IBM, HPE, and Cisco business unit. And over time, that's just morphed and grown into different things as I've taken on more responsibility. Uh, and then ultimately now to the uh, managing director role. Yeah, oh, that's great. So, um, stepping stepping into that uh, role it was what about a year ago, hmm. and of course you know, the countries and the, the planets had uh, you know, a fair bit of uh, disruption. So, what were those what were those first few months like? Being uh, you know in in the leadership role, having to uh, to look after a team of how many have you got here in New Zealand? About four hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
it started off uh, with a hiss and a roar, actually. I, um, because we wanted to keep it under wraps that um, uh, Gary Bigwood, the previous managing director, was was leaving uh, and that I was stepping in, uh, I couldn't announce it to anyone until I was actually in the role. So that background preparation was a little bit more difficult. Uh, roll into January last year, and the very first thing that I had to do was um, really start to uh, work with the leadership team. So who were my peers, and now I'm, uh, I'm their boss, uh, and then start preparing for a country business review with um, my new boss, who I knew quite well, his uh, new boss, who I didn't know quite so well, uh, but those business review events tend to be quite uh, intense and uh, a lot of preparation, so January disappeared with a hiss and a roll. And then we rolled into February, uh, and that was when we st- first really started pricking our ears up around, oh, what's this COVID-19 thing? Or It was coronavirus. Mm. It wasn't even COVID-19. We referred to it as coronavirus. Uh, and really started looking at what's going on, and, and is this going to be a big thing, or is it going to be a SARS or a, a bird flu or... Um, or swine flu or something like that, which was really uh, fizzled out pretty quickly. But it quickly became apparent that uh, it was going to be a bigger deal. And I remember the, some of the first decisions that I had to make were um, were quite big decisions. You know, Cancelling Showcase, for example, which is it's an Ingram Micro and an industry institution. It's been around for uh, 24 years. It was due to be the 25th anniversary. So very early in February, had to cancel that and then uh, explain that to the partners that are already invested and, and put time and money uh, and effort into it. Uh, and then I remember the next big thing, which was um, we had a promotional or an incentive reward uh, event uh, going on um, in Rio in, in, uh, in Brazil. Uh, and that was a, a six-figure sum that we'd invested into that that we just had to cancel. Uh, and the the thing at the time was Rio didn't have a single case of COVID at the time. So it was one of those decisions, do we err on the side of caution? Do we just plough ahead? Uh, but we erred on the side of caution. And in hindsight, it was absolutely the right decision. Uh, would absolutely do it again. Um, if we had to do it to do it today, so that was that really kind of took took care of February, and then roll into March. And I remember it was uh, March the third that we kicked our BCP, our business continuity plan, into place, and said, right, this is going to be bigger than we than we hoped, or bigger than we expected. So let's start making sure that we've got everything covered. Uh, and then through the middle of March, we we really moved into. Um, uh, I guess hyper mode, and we had uh, daily leadership team calls. So I had the the entire leadership team, and I uh, what started out as a fifteen minute call really quickly got into a forty five minute hour long call as we were making those some of those key decisions as to how we were going to continue uh, operating over the next few months as this thing continued to unfold. So that was um, that was middle of March, and then on the twenty first of March, of course, we had the government announcement that we were at alert level two, like that, uh, and really had to start thinking about right, how do we deal with this because none of us had been through a pandemic before, none of us had, had um, navigated anything even remotely similar, 
But I think uh, the, the the one thing that kind of sprang to mind was you know, we've got to communicate openly and transparently and frequently with the team and and lead through this with uh, the team front of mind and, and empathy um, and absolutely be thinking about how they're feeling because there's, uh, there's absolutely going to be a, a degree of anxiety, uh, particularly around um, uncertainty of what the future holds and job security and, um, gee, I've got a mortgage to pay or rent to make. Uh, am I going to have a job going through this? So we um, we made sure that we were communicating uh, regularly, often, uh, several times a week in many cases, and uh, really kind of uh, uh, putting ourselves in the shoes of all the team at Ingram and making sure that what would we want if we were in that position. Yeah, really really critical, isn't it, to get that uh, balance right because you, you, you want to make sure that you know, business needs to survive um, mm-hmm. but ultimately you've got no business without your people right. and, uh, you know, you you need to, uh, you know, you really need to be thinking about them. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's a good approach. So when it when it came to the, the switch being flicked, as it were, to... Uh, you know, step into into lockdown. What did those few days look like, and uh, how relaxed was that for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, people have asked me um, or said to me, "What a crazy year to come in and, and, and take over the leadership role in, in Ingram." Mm. And I've said, uh, by and large, it's been reasonably straightforward and, and uh, reasonably um, plain sailing. Uh, but that week, from the 21st of March, which was a Saturday, through to uh, eventual lockdown on the 25th of March at 11:59, yep. uh, was just a race. So. It was long hours. It was early hours. Uh, we had said to the team right uh, on Saturday, uh, we're, we're working from home from Monday morning, so come in and get your stuff. Get your mice, get your keyboards, get your monitors. Uh, take your chair home if you need it. Uh, whatever's going to make you feel comfortable working from home. Uh, so that was Monday. And from there, the, the office was locked. Uh, we, we didn't go back until after lockdown had, had ended. Uh, but then, of course, we had the, um, the, the race to establish ourselves as an essential service and make sure that we could still transact after lockdown. Yeah, so how did that look? Because, you know, I think, um, you know, really lots of people were really reliant, actually, you know, during that lockdown window of being able to get hold of you know, appropriate technology. Some organisations were, uh, you know, further ahead in terms of, well, all our staff run from laptops and everyone's got a home office set up to, oh, well, everyone, you know, works on a on a PC or, you know, what have you, and no, there's no working from home. And, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, that was the case. And, of course, I guess there are all sorts of other, uh, you know, scenarios that, that probably needed to be addressed during that uh, that time window. So was it easy to work out who to talk to at, you know, government level and, you know, hoops to jump through? Because they must have been, you know, basically doing this, a lot of it on the fly as well, right? Yeah, we we did um, have to navigate pretty dynamically and pretty fluidly. And uh, the work from home thing for us was was actually pretty good. Most of our team were on laptops. We had a a solid VPN uh, in place so that we we knew that we could have uh, the number of concurrent users that we needed to keep the business going. Um, the, the I think the challenging part came when uh, the New Zealand government was still building its approach and, and didn't really have all the answers. So if you went to the COVID-19 website, uh, the, the guidelines, the instructions were changing on a daily basis. Um, 
And you know, where we uh, were contracted to, uh, to to some of our partners, and they were already identified uh, with with letterhead from MB uh, as being a an essential service. Ultimately, we could have tagged on underneath that as well. Yes, but there's no way that I wanted to fall afoul of the New Zealand government. So I said, look. We need our own guidance, our own instruction from MB uh, to be able to continue on. And uh, I remember that uh, the COVID website wasn't didn't have any links, any applications for approval or, or anything along those lines uh, until I can't remember which day it was. It was I think it was Thursday morning, uh, the twenty sixth. And I happened to wake up early, and first thing I did was it was four o'clock in the morning. I remember the time, and refreshed the website. Oh, there's a link I can apply. So spent the next half an hour hammering out a, a, a justification as to why we should be considered for essential service, not not knowing that one of my team had already done the same, or had also done the same thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I was watching the one o'clock briefing with, uh, and I can't remember his name. He was like deputy CEO of uh, of MB, uh, and I got his name, and I figured it's going to be first name dot last name at MB gov. So I sent him the same email. Uh, and then started having conversations with those contracting uh, contract partners and saying, look, we need this. Can you help us uh, get to the top of the queue at MB so that uh, we can keep the doors open? And one way or another, it all happened, and we got a we got our own letter from MB uh, later that day, and could continue transacting as an essential service. Mm. Um, and then from there, uh, and this, we'll keep this next part brief. But from there, we needed to make sure that those that we were transacting with were also transacting as, as an essential service, because some people were getting their, their knuckles wrapped for saying they could, but they, they actually weren't. Uh, so with that, we um, we sent a, uh, an email out to all of our customer base saying, we'll transact with you if you're transacting as an essential service. Reply to this email so that we can keep track of that. And of around 3,000 um, active transacting partners in a given year, we had about 500 respond, which told me that uh, a large proportion of the uh, of the IT community in New Zealand decided we're just going to hunker down and ride this out and see what happens and, and not worry about transacting. So it was, uh, it was a very interesting time just just watching uh, the ebbs and the flows of the, the different portions of the business from infrastructure and, yeah. and uh, volume uh, devices and what have you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and and when we look out sort of through the rest of the year, you, obviously there were there were just a lot of um, you know business as usual type things um, going on by the sounds of it, and the business was sort of meanwhile was growing as well. You've uh, just opened a new uh, distribution centre, or, or that's opening shortly. Opening shortly, yeah. yeah it's it's that's just about complete. Um, in fact, it had a, a soft completion in, in mid December uh, with a, a target end date of all just. Just doing all the last-minute tidy up, etc. By the end of March, um, so you can touch on that uh, shortly if you like. Uh, rolling into um, or out of lockdown, what we found was there was a lot of uh, infrastructure projects still going on. We actually thought those would stop; they would they'd dry up because we figured who's going to want to put infrastructure in right now. But uh, as they were already in progress, a lot of them clo- uh, closed out. So so that was that was going solid, going well. Uh, but that was the the retail business that had stopped and the SMB business that had stopped as well. And then you roll forward a couple of months and SMB and, and retail started to pick up again as lockdowns died away. Uh, and we came out of four to three to two to one. Uh, and the, um, the the infrastructure side of the business slowed down. Uh, and the reason for that is, is pretty obvious. It's um, uh, There weren't those face-to-face conversations going on. People mm. couldn't build pipeline. They couldn't, couldn't create connections. 
so that that was really through the middle of the year. But for us, uh, work from home went absolutely gangbusters. So uh, laptops, uh, um, keyboards, mice, monitors, all those things that enterprises needed to equip their teams uh, while working from home. Uh, headsets. So. Um, uh, if we had a headset in stock, it was gone. Yeah, I can imagine that that, w- that would have been a bit of a challenge for some people that needed headsets or webcams and other things. And uh, absolutely, just, there w- was no way to uh, to actually get your hands on on many of them. It really kind of showed the the, the remaining value that still exists in traditional log- logistics and distribution. Uh, you know, we've moved more to a uh, an as a service model, a, a subscription based model, uh, even a direct shipping model to end user end users through their reseller partners but if we had it in stock it sold and it got to the point where um, in our 10,000 square meter warehouse 10,000 square meters to put it in perspective is is really the size of a rugby it's bigger than a rugby field Mm. Uh, we had 12 laptops left just 12 everything else had sold Um, so uh, it was it was quite incredible just watching it and what sort of stock would you usually carry of laptops uh, in terms of unit count, uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I've, I've never probably, actually looked. Probably many thousands, but it would whether be it's thousands. a thousand or 10,000. Yeah, it would be, yeah. be a few yeah. thousand. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, a, in a given, yeah, an average is around 50 million in inventory across the board. Um, but that, that goes up and down depending on uh, uh, on what's going on, what season it is. Uh, mm. And I remember mm. we actually got to the lowest point in our inventory holding that I've seen in the last five years um, during COVID because everything just went out the door. Mm. Now, um, you you mentioned um, what was I trying to get to there? Um, the yeah, some some of some of the uh, challenges, stock and and other things. Um, um, your interaction, sort of you know, internationally with with the rest of the organisation. Um, what are the Ingram's objectives as a business? You know, with thing, you know, a lot of things changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, value in this sort of distribution model is is still there. Yeah. Um, you know, where does a business like this go amid a, a world that is changing pretty, you know, pretty quickly? Uh, you know, different distribution models, the Amazons and and you know, big big global players, even the um, you know. Uh, on other online marketplaces as well, Tra- you know, trade me locally, um, the you know Chinese ones and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where do, where do you fit, and what, what you know, what's the what's the the strategy? It's a, it's a very broad question, and there's there's lots of different angles to answer that from. Um, but I think, uh, and I'll start with a with an anecdote of a conversation that I had recently. We were we were talking uh, at a regional level with with one of our vendors actually, just around um, what is what is selling and what is marketing in the new normal look like. And uh, everyone was talking about uh, you know, virtual events and, and Zoom and team calls and what ha- teams calls and what have you, and figuring out new ways to to market using. Um, yeah, in, in their reality and I said hang on guys just just take a step back for a sec because as soon as this thing's died down in your country things are going to get back to a really high degree of normality mm. as mm. we've seen in New Zealand mm. we're mm. back to face to face meetings we're, we're back yeah. to events yeah. um, we're no longer selling digitally and, and selling over Teams and Zoom calls so I think that's an important um, understanding point is that as soon as this thing goes away, 
we are largely back to normal. Mm-hmm. Sure, the world's going to change, and and certainly um, the way we work, where we work, how we work, and the and the the, the time, the the nine to five, I think, has probably changed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of um, Ingram Micro. Our strategy all revolves around customer centricity. It's it's keeping that customer front of mind, at the forefront of our mind, uh, in every conversation and every transaction. Um, we've got really three uh, overarching uh, strategies or strategic strategic objectives, um, and that's you know, one is winning together. Which means um, you know, partnering more with our customers, not just being a transaction facility, but right, how do we help you grow your business? How do we work together to make sure that you're uh, optimizing your route to market and, and your engagement with your customers, uh, Mr. or Ms. Partner? Probably pretty pretty important because there are you know, some aspects of technology that look as though they're getting simpler, but other aspects are you know, getting more and more complicated. There's you know tech, The threads of technology just run through everything, don't they? And uh, you know, yeah. especially, well, probably organisations of any size having the right expertise in the right places is, is pretty hard. So, um, you know, being able to tap in uh, and and get the, you know the appropriate assistance, you know, I would think pretty important. Yeah, and that, that actually forms uh, the, the third strategic pillar for from a global perspective, which we've brought down locally and and have applied to our own three-year plan as well. Uh, but that third uh, pillar is really around um, delivering more solutions. So, it's not just about selling a widget. Here's a widget customer. We put a margin on it. You put your margin on it and, and sell it out. It's about bringing together holistic uh, solutions, and, and we've gone a step further and made it a um, effectively a 360 degree life cycle type solution that we we make available. And I said uh, uh, at our Ingram One event last year that it's not about selling more stuff. It's about providing more tools and more services for the partner community to draw upon. Uh, to help them be successful. It's things like, um, how do we help out with marketing? So we've got our own uh, internal marketing agency. We've called Agency Ingram Micro. And we partner with uh, our vendors can uh, tap into that mm. to do um, uh, marketing overflow or things that they can't do locally, they'll, they'll use us, lean, lean on us to do. And same with our reseller partners. We've got a number of part, a number of campaigns in the market that uh, you wouldn't know that it's Ingram Micro behind it, but we've helped that reseller take an, uh, uh, an end user marketing campaign to market. So that that's a start, and then you've got um, uh, then you've got uh, Ingram Micro Financial Services. So uh, wrapping leasing and lease to own and uh, devices as a service sort of sort of uh, models around uh, that whole sales transaction, uh, and then you've got. Um, I knew I, it's like naming the seven dwarfs. You always miss one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go to the end, which was uh, IT asset dis- uh, disposition. So it's bringing it all back in mm-hmm. once once you've hit the end of life cycle. Yeah. Uh, so it creates that holistic, uh, holistic approach, and and our partners are starting to um, kind of gravitate towards that and see how I can get everything from one place and mm-hmm. and really take advantage of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, yeah, I was just talking to a company uh, yesterday, and they're sort of sourcing you know, different bits and pieces from you know a whole range of a whole range of places. And mm. uh, um, I mean, this was in terms of technology and telecommunication services and so on. And you know, we're hearing about the finger pointing and just the inefficiencies of talk to this party, talk to that party. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, if you can do a, a great job of you know offering a, a really you know broad set of services and uh, products. 
dogs. It's, uh, it's pretty handy. Yeah, and I did a bit of analysis on it last year and, and looked at, at a high level um, uh, of you know, the, the top vendors that are represented in New Zealand. There's roughly 600 Roughly 600. There's, there's there's probably a few more and and uh, a few little ones as well that that um, are not necessarily on on, on our radar, but mm. around 600. And of those, we've got 240. So uh, rough numbers. That's about 40 percent of the available vendor uh, vendor count in, in the country, which means that it really does become that uh, one-stop shop capability uh, for uh, for our partners. Yeah, no, and I think that's you know probably you know certainly historically why uh, you know why a lot of people have have done business with uh, you know with with Ingram is uh, yeah you can go there and uh, get you know, most most of the the well known uh, brands. Yep, uh, we're not. The market sort of mixed itself up a bit over you know over over the last probably ten years. There's a bit more sort of fragmentation than, than there once was. But uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, vendors move around from time to time, and there's, yeah. there's always new conversations going on. And look, we're not perfect. Um, I know that our our website, uh, our current website, uh, leaves a bit to be desired. The good news is that um, we're uh, in the process of rolling out a very new version of that, a very modern website, um, which will be kind of It'll um, keep pace with the sort of things that you're used to, uh, which might offer up suggestions for the people that bought this, bought that sort of thing. So mm. that's um, that's going through a stage rollout at the moment. So some of our customers will already have seen it, and then others will start seeing it over the next few weeks. Mm. So that, that's exciting because and it's and um, you know for those sorts of things, where where does being part of a global entity um, help you? And where does where does it make it harder? Because you know sometimes I sort of see of you know an organisation that's you know of a, of a large scale, and they take so long to do things, and then their competitors are kind of racing ahead and you know much more much more agile. Um, then on on the flip side, it might be that a larger organisation um, you know really is able to take cyber security much more seriously. They're able to you know deliver capabilities and uh, and offerings that you know smaller local companies. Just can't compete with because you know they've got a, a global uh, budget, and I guess you could compare it to uh, you know Uber, their mm-hmm. investment in their app and, and their services. You know they can just pour so much into making sure that stuff works really well, and then a local taxi company that's you know that's trying trying to uh, you know compete, yeah. um, they might end up with something that sort of looks similar to uh, to the offering, but uh, you know how how secure and uh, so on it is, you know privacy aspects. And, and how how robust and stable it is can you know can vary. How how, uh, how does that play out for, for Ingram here in New Zealand? Like I think I think it can be um, a wee bit of a double edged sword. I mean, you, you use the word agility, and where we are uh, constrained by what's going on internationally, what decisions are being made internationally. Um, the the flip side of that is that the investments that are made internationally are a lot bigger than what we could manage ourselves just here in New Zealand, and they're bigger than what our competitors can manage. Um, but certainly our smaller ones here in New Zealand. Um, the, the good news from my perspective, and, and having been there for uh, nearly eight years, I've seen the accelerated accelerated pace of change. Um, four, uh, three or four years ago, it was quite slow and the IT systems weren't that great. But with new leadership uh, that's come in at a global level, both from an IT point of view, from a from a, a cloud marketplace point of view, we're starting to see a really accelerated pace of change, even from a logistics point of point of view. So, um, I think it's it's quite an exciting time for Ingram because we're seeing things move ahead 
not quite with the agility of a small local player, but but almost. Uh, and it's 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 going to be it's going to be big for for us in the New Zealand market and for our customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had an example recently. I think uh, you know someone on our team um, at, at, at my technology services firm, Gorilla, reached out to uh, you know, Ingram and a, and a number of other you know people that uh, we would source product through. And uh, you know, my recollection was with Ingram, oh yeah, we can give you you know electronic price feeds via API. Mm-hmm. You can you know talk backwards and forwards, do anything you want. And then there were there were other ones that were sort of smaller, you know, local players that were oh that's too hard or oh, we can only you know we can give you some sort of a, a rudimentary sort of dump of data, but it's you know it's actually not uh, not so helpful. Yeah. Um, and so you know I imagine those sorts of things you really you know you were tapping in and leveraging what's being done on a on a global basis. That uh, one not so much. That no, one that uh, one we're actually doing locally. So yeah, we've, okay. we've got a local business ops team that yeah. uh, that we we've tasked with uh, years and years and years ago with moving everything from uh, really physical interaction to automated electronic mm-hmm. uh, interaction, and that can be to your point. It can be uh, automated price feeds with um, absolutely integrated EDI between systems, or it can be as simple as um, uh, scraping an email that comes through uh, using uh, automated tools to then take out the key portion, the key the key parts, because typically. If you send an email with an order on it, uh, it's going to take the same format every time because it's going to come out of your own ERP yeah, system, your own yeah. accounting system. And if we know that uh, Gorilla Technology is uh, has this particular format, then we can um, take that in in that format. Yeah, um, so having that uh, local capability, local team to augment what's going on internationally is uh, is also quite, quite gratifying because yeah. we often turn around best practice locally here for the region and the globe to adopt. Um, which is uh, yeah, which is good, and, yeah. and it's kudos yeah. to the team as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what are the other areas that are you know, you know exciting you at the moment and of and of a lot of interest? Because you know you sit in this sort of unique position of seeing you know what's selling into the market, uh, what's not. Uh, you know, seeing where there's a lot of uptake, and uh, you know, I guess we all sort of see different things from our own perspective. But you've probably got a, you know a slightly uh, you know broader perspective than some of us. Yeah, I guess I've got a Jason's view of, of what's going to happen yeah. and, and how. Yeah. Things are working, um, and I think uh, if I if I go back to March April last year, uh, and a lot of decisions I think were made at that time that were snap decisions. They were we've we've got to respond now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to get this equipment into our end users so they can they can remain effective. Yeah, uh, and I think what's likely to happen this year, particularly as we start heading into the year, I think you'll see that um, those businesses that did that and didn't make any kind of remediate uh, remediation through the year or any adjustments through the year, they were hunkering down. They were writing out the year to see what happens, I think you'll start to see those you know, stick their heads back up and say, right, that decision that we made over there, it got us 90% of the way there, but we need to remediate, we need to add this, we need to do this uh, to really get it to be A, um, effective, B, secure, and make sure that we've got that security uh, between uh, home and the office. Yeah, some things, you know, by necessity moved very quickly, didn't they? And they weren't yeah. decisions that, you know, if you had a bit more time, you would have necessarily taken. Absolutely. Um, and then I think, you know, we're going to start to see, uh, I think this year will still be a year of growth. I think uh, we will continue to see work from home products selling well. Um, and there will be some additional products that weren't necessarily considered in work from home to begin with that will, that will, that will move quickly. Um, 
just lost my train of thought. Uh, so I think work from home, yes. I think um, PCs, laptops particularly, will still continue to grow. So IDC is predicting that uh, we'll, st- we'll see 3% growth uh, in laptops this year. Um, now, that's that's a global metric, but I still think there's room for that uh, for that to continue locally here in New Zealand as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it would seem, you know, most, most businesses, I, I would imagine, after having been through lockdown, are unlikely to be ordering sort of, you know, PCs to sit on, sit on desks uh, to to any great degree, you know, anymore if they weren't already, you know, predominantly on laptops. It's uh, we've just been given a pretty clear, uh, you know, nudge forward that that makes a lot of sense from a business continuity perspective, yeah. as well as that the flexibility of you know um, how people like to work from from home and, and different locations yeah. and so on. What does your work look like? What does your day to day work like? Are you sort of just stuck in an <laughs> office and and tapping away? And reading and sending out reports, or you know, are you uh, you know out and about a lot. Depends on the day. Um, last year I wasn't out and about a lot. This year I intend to be out and, and about with uh, vendors and, and customers, uh, partners on a much much more regular basis. Um, but I guess I'm a terrible sleeper, and I kind of alluded that to that before when we were going through a central service, and I was up at four o'clock. And many mornings I'm up at four o'clock, and just uh, uh, just just because I'm awake, and uh, I'll be dealing with whatever email. Of Kim in that night, whatever reading I need to do to prep for the day. Um, I still work from the office five days a week, uh, and that's really personal preference. I, I like to be in and around the team. I like to have that separation between home and uh, and work. But in saying that, my home office is set up better than my work office, so maybe I'm the I'm, I'm the idiot for uh, going to the office. And how how many uh, or how does it work with your team? Do they all need to be operating from the office, or you know, is that uh, you got half the people you had in the office as you you know had a year ago? Or how does that look? So with with COVID and then return to offices, and we returned really cautiously. We we had a staggered return, and we had corporate global guidelines in terms of right. this is what you must do, you must wear a mask while you're in the office, uh, kitchens and communal areas must be closed and gradually as lockdowns diminished we we, um, we reduced those restrictions but what it did cause us to do was evaluate how we work and where we work and, and uh, what that might look like so as we were heading into lockdown uh, last year we were about to do a refit of our headquarters uh, which was about 11 years old so getting a bit tired needing a bit of a, a lick of paint and we put a hold on that because of the uncertainty the unpredictability as to what was going to happen and what it gave us the opportunity to do was really rethink how do we want to work as we come out of this uh, and the result being is that um, after the second lockdown in August, uh, some of the leadership team and I did a, a wee tour of, of some of the hot desking um, uh, environments, uh, Auckland Council, Cantar, Comar, Brunton, and had a look at how they worked. And uh, I remember talking to the general manager at Cantar at the time. I said, what occupancy have you gone for? And he said, well, we, we went for 80%. So having 80% of our workforce in at any given time. And he said, I wish we'd gone for 60%. Wow. So I turned to the team and I said, "We're going for 50, uh, and and we've we've uh, we've geared up to go to 50 percent occupancy. So as we go through our refit, which is just starting to kick back into process now, uh, it'll be full hot desking, uh, no offices. So um, I've got an office at the moment, as do a couple of the other leadership team members, but those are all going. We're, we'll go to full um, open plan. And have you tried? Have you tried it? I, I'm I'm fine. I've got nothing yeah. on my desk. My desk is as clean as this, um, so I I don't mind. Yeah. Um, 
I've, I've struggled I've struggled with it so I've moved from an office that's turned into a podcast studio and uh, yeah I'm used to, I guess I've had 20 years of used to have my own little very quiet box right and uh, so it's a it's a bit of a transition I've, I've been in those environments <laughs> before and in fact prior to this in my last role it was a very open plan so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I think the team's looking forward to it uh, but we've we've also changed um, uh, the requirement to be in the office. Mm. So we've said uh, we want you in the office minimum two days a week. Um, so be in the office. Other than that, work from home. So you've got that option as, a, as an Ingram Micro employee to uh, work from home three days a week. Reality is that uh, many of our employees, or we call them associates, uh, are transient anyway. They're account managers, they're business development managers, they're solutions architects, and they're spending their time out with customers anyway. So there will be weeks that go by where I don't see a particular person. Uh, so it's only a, a subtle change for mm-hmm. probably half of our workforce. Yeah. Now, um, you've got your new distribution centre on, on the way. I'm, I'm curious, I'm sure some of our listeners will be around, you know, what technology are you putting in, in place there? Is this uh, all robotics and you don't need <laughs> anybody working in there? Uh, you know, how, how, do you, uh, how do you make that work? Now, there was um, saw some footage the other day from Foodstuffs North Island, and I don't know if, if you've seen any on, on their new distribution centre, which I, I imagine is rather large because they've got a lot of supermarkets to keep full of, around yeah. the country. Um, I can't remember what size it, it was, but... Uh, there was uh, what looked like uh, it was either it was some sort of um, either fingerprint or f- sort of facial recognition scan as people came in for sort of for timesheets, um, and yeah, there seemed to be yeah f- a fair bit of technology that was sort of going going into that place, looked mm-hmm. quite cutting edge. Right. Where, where does uh, Ingram land on that sort of front? With uh, with does it you know does much change or not a lot changes to be honest. Yeah. Um, we don't have. Uh, robotics in there and we've looked at that in the past and looked at the cost of putting that in and the return and the payback and the uh, that ROI is just way too far out to actually make that a viable option. Um, but what we have done is we've uh, and it's not a not a new distribution centre it's an extension of the existing one right. uh, and what we've done is we've um, we've replaced all the racking so the racking was getting a bit, bit old and what that's allowed us to do is, is to take the racking up another layer so we can put more inventory in. Uh, we've moved some of the um, uh, functions that we had at the front of the warehouse uh, into the new extension and, it, and and even outside the warehouse, uh, which has given us the ability to bring the racks forward, which gives us a, a, a lot more inventory space. So where we've increased the footprint about 35%, we've actually got about 85% more usable space. Um, part of that comes from uh, covering in the the, uh, the canopy outside the, the the breezeway outside with the canopy. So historically, when we've been uh, bringing goods into the warehouse, uh, we've had to do it pretty quickly in, in wet weather, and then we do all the unboxing and what have you inside the warehouse. Now we can do that all outside the warehouse. Uh, so what it does is it, it opens us up to being able to bring more inventory in. Um, opens and, and, and different types of inventory opens us up to be able to provide more in the way of services. So we've got a, um, a growing third-party logistics business as well, which uh, which will start building more with with new vendors and bringing new vendors on board to really uh, take advantage of that new space that we've got. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's it's uh, good. Change of foot, yes, and uh, and growth. Um, anything else that you'd like to add? I know there's you know. Lots more things we probably could delve into, but I'm I'm mindful you probably don't have all afternoon to uh, <laughs> uh, ha- hang out, chat. You've got a business to run. Yeah, 
Um, look, I think uh, I would leave the, the conversation on the fact that I think we're going to see continued growth this year. I think um, New Zealand has shown its resilience in um, in relation to COVID-19. Uh, I think there's lots of opportunities that, are, that abound. I think um, if I was talking to uh, resellers right now, which, which I guess I am, is look at things like security, look at uh, hybrid IT, look at edge computing, look at Internet of Things. Um, you know, we're we're uh, investing in all of those areas. Uh, Internet of Things is, I think, we think, uh, as a global entity, is is going to be a, a pretty significant event for us all. Uh, and if you go back ten years, we uh, we really invested in cloud marketplace and uh, as a service and subscription based billing to remain relevant and to really drive our business for the future. Um, as we uh, headed into tail end of uh, 2019, we were building a um, customer experience centre in uh, just outside a head, off- head office in Irvine in California so that people could go along and play and learn about Internet of Things. And uh, while that hasn't been able to be used yet because of what's going on over in the States, it shows the level of investment that we're making in, in that area. So that flows down to New Zealand as well and we've, we're bringing on new vendors in that category and uh, really pulling together a holistic uh, service that encompasses the um, the devices, the uh, the network layer, uh, the building layer and all that sort of thing as well so I think um, there's lots of exciting areas to, to be playing in and uh, you know we're fortunate that we've got those relationships uh, across the board that uh, we can we can take advantage of it and, and help our uh, reseller partners take advantage of it for their um, to, to help solve business problems for their customers yeah well I think that's what it comes down to doesn't it it's it's about solving business problems it's about making you know New Zealand more successful by you know leveraging technology and a you know the latest and greatest and uh, you know the the uh, the things that are going to make organizations more successful and uh, yeah, it's got you know ongoing challenges from you know those that are selling technology to you know try and find out uh, you know where does that really help their their customers and and for you know those New Zealand organisations that are buying technology to know uh, where to invest and uh, um, I guess my my thoughts on that is that uh, you know it's re- really important for uh, you know for Kiwis wherever you sort of sit in the in the technology sector um, you know to be exploring and and learning about about you know all of the technologies so you're, you're utilizing the things that are going to uh, bring an uplift to your organization and then on the other side looking at those cyber security and risk factors and working out how to you know squash those things and uh, I'm, I'm sure Ingram will uh, you know continue to play uh, play a role in uh, you know in serving the country with with helping in the, these these areas I certainly hope so yeah that's the plan well great to have you on the show Jason uh, really appreciate it good to be here thanks Paul all right thanks everyone for listening in Uh, to this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We'll be back uh, again uh, with another episode for you next week. All right, see ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.